Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Greetings, comrades. I want to dedicate this episode to all the podcasts run by women. That would be Nerds on History, Nerds on Film, History Chicks, Mythology Translated, Witch Hunt Podcast, Renaissance English Podcast, Spirits, A Drunken Dive into Myths and Legends, Singing Bones, Myth Take, The Endless Knot, Footnoting History, The Story Behind, Rude Tutors, The History of the Crusades, You Must Remember This, The Land of Desire, There's History, Bitches, and A History of Small Things, and The Last Ovation. These podcasts make sure that the female voice of history is being known to the world, which has been denied for, well, most of history. And as this episode isn't particularly happy, it is honest though, it is very respectful, then I would like to wish all of you, including my listeners of this podcast, my female listeners, strength. Because luck tends to run out and you need strength drop off the chains of those who try to oppress you. Because if you discriminate against 50% of the world population, then that part of the population can't really can't really help you advance things, and that is a great loss. But I didn't sugarcoat anything. This is not a condescending episode. Because women, women don't need pity or special treatment by men. They need to be able to do things on their own. Because without my beautiful and talented wife, Maya Alice, I wouldn't be able to do anything on this very show. Also, a special shout-out goes to Tess Pfeife and, uh, and Anna Laura, as they also deserve special greetings. So, I hope you'll enjoy the show. And keep being as strong and tough as you can. Enjoy the episode. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to our special edition Eastern Border episode. Uh, this is a very special episode because it's International Women's Day when you're hearing this one. And, you know, I I posted on my Facebook page and Twitter recently this caricature about, you know, podcasters. It was about Daryl Cooper and Daniele Bolelli and Mike Duncan and myself. And it was kind of a parody of uh, the three who were the fourth one for vodka joke thing. 
And it turned out that I from I, I got uh, a question from History Chicks who asked me, well, hey, where's the token lady? And I was like, wait, what? This, the joke doesn't involve ladies, but what's going on here? But then I thought, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe they kind of have a point. I don't agree in this specific anecdote case, but in general, yeah, yeah, I, I want to do something for the ladies too, so that I, do, I don't feel don't feel terrible and my wife would would stop punching me constantly <laughs> well she doesn't that's that's a joke but yeah in, in case of this i started looking into this uh, international women's day aspect and strong soviet ladies and how true are all these statements about this and i dug up some deep stuff and to understand the whole cultural background of all of the situation here i have uh, a great, great uh, dark lady, our dark lady, as we call her, from Dark Myths Podcasts, Matilda Clara Testoni, from the Singing Bones Podcast, from um, Australia. Hello. No Americans on this show, gentlemen. No Americans, not for this one. It wouldn't be right. <laughs> so, Matilda, what can you tell me about uh, all these fairy tales in your podcast, and, and why are you here? Well... What's your expertise? <laughs> Plug yourself. My, I'm, I'm here as, I guess, my background in, in folklore and myth. You come across this, um, you know, I really love Slavic um, myths and the way that women are depicted in them. Um, and and there, is, there is a cultural difference in the Slavic myths compared to, say, you know, French or Italian or um, the Scandinavian myths. Um, one of the biggest things is that, especially the ones with the women, um, is there isn't always a happy ending. They don't always end up with Prince Charming at the end. Sometimes um, it's all about them doing something or them preventing something or them being heroic. And um, what what's really interesting and what was certainly adopted by Soviet culture was that um, that 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 veneration of hard work um, and also. Um, and 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 that idea that, that that a good woman is a woman who works hard and gets rewarded, and that's enough reward. You don't need a handsome prince as well. Just hard work's enough. But um, I I think what's really interesting is also the class inequalities that are in all folklore, and it, which is always about peasants becoming kings and things. Um, but you really see that more starkly with with Slavic folklore and, and I think it's partly because it wasn't erased as the Cold War became more heated. You know, the capitalists of the the West certainly started to erase some of that class warfare that is there in fairy tales. Um, and they made, you know, Cinderella very happy to become royalty after being poor, but you don't necessarily see that in, in, in other myths. So, and there's also the veneration of the old wise woman that you have, um, not just in Slavic folklore, but especially. So it's that where witches aren't necessarily bad, but they're powerful. So you get people like Baba Yaga, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah. I, I, oh, wow, you actually, you, you actually pronounce it correctly. Yes, people tend to say Baba Yaga, <laughs> yeah, especially here in Australia. But yeah, I do know, I think it's, she can also, I think she's got some different names as well. Um, but Baba Yaga is what I know her as, yeah. Baba has an origin to do with with women. It means it's an archaic form for the word women, apparently. Yeah, it's 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 still sometimes used in slang, by the way. But it, I heard but, it's but, like call someone feminine she, or no, something. No, she's mostly a, a Baba is a, 
It's a short. It's a shorthand for a babushka. It's basically de- depicting an old lady. Oh. It's a kind of shorthand for mm. that. But yeah, Baba Yaga is. Uh, she's a. She's a very powerful witch who lives in her hat. Who lives in her hut with with the chickens or or a bird's leg for for it's kind of you know. The the hut stands on a bird's leg there in the middle of the forest and. Yes. And sometimes she dispenses wisdom. And she flies in. In an eggshell, I always like that, and I always got told um, that after cracking eggs to crack up my eggshells so that witches couldn't use them to fly in from. So you crush your eggshells, and yeah, I always like that. She's very cool, very scary, but sometimes very helpful. She, um, it's like she decides whether she's going to be useful or evil. Yeah, she's but you know, this is—I think—I think all of yeah. this kind of comes from from the general culture seeing as as throughout throughout the periods uh, this kind of uh, everyone's been under the czar and then they were under the general secretary you know not not, not that much changed <laughs> so yeah absolutely and we had this nomenclature thing yeah but i don't know what, what what's your favorite fairy tale or, or wonder tale now I, I have learned from you that you should call them wonder tales now uh, uh, well, yeah, I like I love the term wonder tale. I think it's better suited because um, uh, they're not. Fa- I mean, fa- fairies imply that there's some fairies imply that they're kind of nice, and you know, fairies are like these little creatures with wings and stuff. Normal wonder tales of Eastern Europe are dark, set in winter, and people die. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I like there's a couple of variations of one called the Pale Maiden, which is about a man who discovers. Um, who uh, just has constantly has bad things happening to him. And uh, one day he discovers there's this very pale maiden living in his floor. And he says, who are you? And she goes, I'm poverty. And he's like, oh, well, poverty, I'm moving house. Uh, can you help me with this thing? And he traps her so that she gets, while he's moving house, he traps her hand so she can't move with him. And he goes to the next house and everything's great. Um, and he gets poverty off his back. And the troublesome uh, czar that's been putting a lot of pressure on him and th- that forced him to move and has been hounding him frees the pe- uh, the maiden and ends up becoming poor himself. And I, I like, I like, I always love that image of poverty as this scraggly, pale, thin woman living under your floorboards. It's a good one. <laughs> Uh, and um, very very dark. It, it, hey, that's a, it's a better horror story than Bye Bye Man. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't yeah. know. Sometimes when um, I when I when I research this, I looked into specifically you know some other depictions of, of women in uh, kind of Slavic fairy tales because you know mainly Russian ones because they were also printed over here. Um, at least you know, uh, and, and in Slavic fairy tales, all women often get depicted as, as somewhat greedy if you think about it. Uh, because when, yes. when it comes to especially the one where uh, with the the old the very old kind of uh, the fisherman finds the gold goldfish who turns out to be a mermaid who gives the wishes and and then his wife says that you should go back and ask for more and more and more and stuff and then then something yes. happens and I don't know but this is this is kind of interesting but uh, in, in a sense it also depicts the idea that. It is somewhat popular, at least here in, in Latgala regions. While I was living in Lodz, I noticed this phenomenon, which is kind of there, because Latgala is our, our most Russian center, and where the idea is like this, uh, where uh, a man would get would get his salary, but then he would have to give it all to his wife, or his wife would, like, you know, yell at him 
uh, and, and make his life miserable. So then there were actual discussions of people about how they hide parts of their salaries from their wives so that they can go, go drinking and they can buy some local booze. <laughs> in Slavic folklore, women, yeah, they're often dangerous, depicted as dangerous women. Um, and you see that with things like rusalkas and wood maidens and velas. They're these wild, untamable women who take things from you, who are, who are dangerous and who are, want to own you and take you over. You can certainly see that in, in those kind of um, sexier stories where women are, young women are the baddies too, yeah. Oh, and in Latvian culture specifically, by the way, when I'm, when I'm thinking about, we don't really know exactly that much about our ancient Latvian beliefs because what we know now has been constructed in the 19th century with a huge inspiration from mm. Brothers Grimm, by the way, <laughs> and, and stuff from, like, this has all been reconstructed somewhat, but apparently we had two guys, we had Mara and we had Lime, and, and it's kind of, Mara would be closer to Freya, I suppose, because Mara is uh, a, apparently depicted as a woman in her 30s who's, like, mm. the one who takes care of everything. Mara is the goddess of prosperity and fertility and everything. And then we have this other goddess, Lima, who's the pretty one. A <laughs> uh, generic term I've heard for those kind of goddesses is the the all flowers goddess or the flowers goddess, that kind of Persephone figure that's all about sex in springtime. And hey, it was there's nothing wrong with that. But I think I think you know it's interesting that the, we separate that person from the mother, and in so many cultures, it's separated from the mother and like. Yeah, I think I think those are the two really strong types that you end up with in fairy tales. That you and you end up with the three. You end up with the the wily women who seduce you, the mothers who take care of everything, and then the old Baba Yaga crones that um, are tricksy and greedy. Over here, we also we also had the very venerated crone uh, goddess. It, she was less than goddess. She was like Velumath. She's the mother of ghosts, essentially. Because uh, we we didn't in, in our ancient Latvian traditions we don't have Halloween as such, but about at the same time, like you know, uh, in the old farmsteads and like in the 10th century, they they had this specific building where they kept kept the grain and everything for winter, and then at the end of October you would set up a table there and and you would kind of feed the dead, the, your your ancestor spirits, and and then they they apparently you you interact with them through this Venumata, which is the the mother of ghosts essentially. And, and you know, but, but she's 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 scary, but she's not evil. She's like, I don't know. She's she's very scary, but she's venerated because you know you you'll, you'll go and meet her anyways. And uh, she's wise and old, but you, you don't want to mess with her. Yes, I think. And then the various witch figures. Yeah, I think the evil witch or the evil thing. That's actually a very English um, idea. Um, and you know, Halloween is Scottish and those kind of, I think those kind of fear of witches is actually not very central in Eastern European. I think that's very, it's very, came out of the Inquisition and witch trials and things oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah. We, dude, we have, we have pagan metal bands right now. Our most famous one is Skyferger and I listen to those guys and, uh, no, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran myself, but I enjoy the, all these traditions and everything. And, and I can understand something, you know. And I, I know that in my ancient culture, we venerated the so-called snake women. Because yeah. they helped us fight <laughs> the enemy. Who were, you know, the crusaders. Yeah. And it, things like... 
when you're a target, when you're when you're target of a crusade, then your culture changes. A, 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 then you know you have to understand that cultures are a bit different when when once you are a target <laughs> crusade that influences <laughs> you a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like there were witch trials in Estonia, and people didn't have a problem with the witches. It was the fact that the witches were um uh, were becoming werewolves. It was like the werewolf trials. That was the real thing. It's like it's fine if you're practicing witches, oh, we- but like you can't you can't become a werewolf. You can't be an an evil wolf witch. That's drawing the line. <laughs> well, where we we are we are the basic werewolf land. That, that's a thing there. Uh, Rom- see Romania and especially Valachia region with Vlad Zepesh, They're the vampire lands. Yeah, we're the you're totally lands. the werewolf the lands. Protestant. <laughs> yeah, we have we 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 made this uh, from another. Uh, we we have our friend Boca Prevech who makes the mythology podcast and uh, he does it in a more academical way. And my little brother translated our Coronian werewolf stories for him. And they're really scary. And, and all of this region is essentially... Like, werewolves uh, Werewolves were the, the, the monsters there. And weirdly enough, <laughs> uh, this, this is what, what also made me think when I listened to your show. Because when I listen to our werewolf legends over here... You can spot a ton of similarities from from this and Navajo Skinwalker. Yes, yes. And that's the weirdest part because we are on the two separate parts of the planet Earth. Yes. And and there's something similar there. And then you start thinking about Carl Jung's archetypes and psychoanalysis and how all this all fits here because uh, psychoanalysts were. This might be a surprise for you, psycho psychoanalyst uh, psychoanalysts. Uh, and especially Carl Jung spent a lot of time reading reading Wonder Tales, seeking archetypes. Yes, absolutely. It's all science and connected. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, we have steered quite a, quite far away from this, but, but <laughs> we have steered. We've been we've gotten a little way further away from women, but I, I guess if if we're going to go back to like the kind of mythology and women, um, you know, I guess obviously the the best. Known story uh, about about both Babi Yaga and about women is Vasilisa. Uh, in English, she's called Vasilisa the Beautiful, but I know in most translations she actually is Vasilisa the Brave, which is much cooler, obviously. And um, because she she has a magic doll that helps her uh, def- not defeat but get away from Babi Yaga, and. And she does it through hard work and constant labor and impossible tasks that the magic doll helps her um, with. And it's always been such a cool story for me. And I've always liked her as a figure. And I like at the end, it's very tacked on the fact that she goes home and marries the Tsar. It's a complete add-on. But in most versions, she just goes home and she's won and she's just gotten rid of her bad stepmother. And I've always liked that, especially because she's meant to be older. She's not a little girl anymore. I think it's a it's a it's one of my favorite fairy tales. I don't absolutely. know, yeah, because because when I compare when I compare this to, to other cultures, I understand that in our culture we we have nothing against brave women. Brave women are a okay, you know. It's uh, and I, I kind of think about it this way, <clears throat> like right now, I'm, my computer is in front of my window, and outside there is a massive blizzard going on, and it's March. And this is with well, this is this is with with our climate change things and everything. And uh, I think I think it kind of comes comes to it because uh, over here, if you if you're all if you're all equally oppressed and life is hard, then you can't really a- afford to oppress someone else. Really, you it's, you want a strong woman because otherwise your family as a whole as a unit is screwed. 
It's kind of kind of like this. It's uh, this this kind of goes on here because I don't know. As far as I know, men take pride in marrying strong wives over here. Like my brother met his wife in the army, so he was also in the army. So I I don't know. <laughs> this is this is kind of weird. But then again, this whole culture thing and hard work has misfired, and then we get to our subject of the things. Because you see. International Women's Day, it wasn't originally. Now, over here in Eastern Europe, it's associated as a Soviet invention. But it's not, it's not so. Cause, uh, all of this, like, all of this actually started in the 18th century in the northern, like, in northern Europe, but then they, they mean, I guess, Sweden or something, and in France. And at that point, this International Women's Day was there to promote women equality. In political life, in cultural life, getting them getting them the right to vote and everything, and and in the in the in the eighth of March of eighteen fifty seven, uh, there was this first trade union in New York, which uh, which members could be female. So at that day, uh, the women working in the textile industry of New York went to the streets asking for ten hour workday. Because by then women had worked 16 hours per day, and they they wanted some basic safety at workplace, and they wanted the wage equality. So and this is this is how it started all all of this situation. And in the 1910, in the International Women's Conference in Copenhagen, a, a lady called Clara Zetkin, at least uh, I'm I'm getting using Latvian sources here might not be correct pronunciation because she's from a different country. So she essentially in this uh, international conference day, she decided that you know this this should be really a day where when we celebrate women, but not actually and but not in a condescending way. How it will become become done later. This was essentially <clears throat> essentially that was a call for women equality, for you know let's get voting rights, let's be equal to everything. But in Russia, this whole thing, the, the first time, happened in the 1913 in St. Petersburg. And 1913 is just before the First World War. So in the, in the 2nd of March, like six days early, in the street of Poltova, about 1,500 people kind of made a crowd because the city Duma were at that point kind of starting to look at the question of, <clears throat> the question of women. And there were people supporting this idea, because uh, the city of Poltava wanted to decide the uh, women's suffrage, and you know some some aid for pregnant women for mothers and, and and stuff like that. And in the future, during the First World War, a lot of a lot of women in Europe in the eighth of March or approximately those dates, a lot of women went on protests protesting against the war. And as we're doing a revolution series right now, you might want to know what women did in the nineteen seventeen. Because we're in the middle of a Russian Revolution series here. This is a special here. So in the last in the last Sunday of February, in 1917, the Russian women went on the streets with the slogan "Peace and Bread." And this was the, basically the start of whole revolution. This was the beginning of February Revolution, where uh, after Kerensky will get power later, and we've moved on from the story. But this whole thing started with women walking out on the streets and asking, "Hey, we want some bread. We're working in your factories right now. All the men are at war for nothing." And you know, this whole started with a women's protest and a women's march. So four days later, Emperor Nicholas II had to resign. Then later in October, Bolsheviks did their own things there. 
But uh, this, is, this is how it happened. But thing is, yeah. So and this is this is how it happens. But as usual, as usual, you know, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, I want I want to celebrate gender equality here because uh, again, Latvia, Lat- Latvia's best president so far has been a female. We've had two female prime ministers, and uh, a lot of a lot of major business owners are, are women. Well, I'll, we 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 don't have all of this, and this all comes from the Soviet period. But this whole thing with hard labor, which you spoke about, this also could backfire a lot, because in a huge huge sense, in the Soviet Union, the guys up there in power, especially Khrushchev, he Khrushchev and the Communist Party were really interested in uh, in their army. Uh, see, my, all of the state was working for the army. So we had this. Uh, we had specific awards for women, and you could get special, like special access. Spe- you could get more money and special access to special stores if you were a mother hero. Which meant if you had five or more kids, you got a medal from the party and a nice card, and you were celebrated. Because the official party line was kind of interesting. Because women had to, at the same time, work really ha- just as hard as men. Obviously, there were some stereotypes in what jobs women could do. Women technically were more employed in the lighter industries. Soviet Union had no unemployment, officially. (laughs) Everyone had to work. Mm. So women were tasked with the same amount of work as men, and the women were participating in the World War II, even. They were in the army. They were like the famous kukushkas, who were essentially snipers, who just, you know, went and, and, and Soviet female snipers who, who shot the Nazis until they were like, they sit, they sat up on, on top of a tower and they, they shot the, the incoming enemy and, you know, then they often were captured and killed. But they were just there, they were very brave women. But at the same time, the Soviet Union also propagated this whole, which I mentioned in my childhood and family episode, this whole thing that collective is a very important part of raising a child, but at the same time, it was expected from a woman that she would also, besides working her ass off just like everyone else, she would also partake and take care of the family and all the household thing. It's like having two it jobs. Was, it's it's basically like having two jobs, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was it was quite interesting because people somehow managed. Because one thing that I have to give credit to the Soviet Union is that you know there, there, a lot of stereotypes were there, but no one really cared about. You know, every, everyone wanted a diligent woman because of all, of all this. Because it was it was somewhat. It was some culturally, it was a cultural thing because uh, I know that in the Western Western world around fifties and sixties, it was often looked at as, as a weird thing that you know a, a woman works and, and she has she has to sit to sit at home and, and take care of the family. Well, Soviet Union said, screw this, she has to work and take care of the family, comrade. What do you think? What do you think this is? Yes, yeah, in a nice place to in live. the U.S. in the U.K. You know, in, in countries like that, I think it was certainly this idea that the woman. Um, is supposed to have leisure, that it's all supposed to look effortless and be, she's got to provide for the family, but it's supposed to, she's supposed to be able to do that without actually working. And she's meant to have like nice hands and nice hair and be so neat and it's all about aesthetics. And I think uh, what, what's, what is exciting and great about um, the, the Soviet woman myth or idea, um, I don't know if it's real, but the myth of it is, is the idea that she's, she doesn't care about those particular things. It's all about what she does, not how she looks. It's about being useful. 
Well, see, that was the thing, and it sometimes actually worked very, very truly, because, for example, Nikita Khrushchev's wife was essentially, she wasn't, she wasn't beautiful in any sense that, that we might find a lady beautiful in this day and age. She was just very diligent and, and, and very kind of, she, she took care of Khrushchev's vast estate, which was vast, but all of the situation is, is uh, interesting because when you think about it, and, and I'm going to quote here from the International Women's Day celebration from 1960, 14th of March, which apparently was written by, uh, we have a Latvian journalist, Santo, Sanito Play, and her mother, oh no, her grandmother wrote to her mom in the first year when her mom, after finishing high school, moved to Riga. So her grandmother stayed at the countryside, and she worked at the local forestry thing. So this grandmother, who stayed in the countryside to take care of all of this and work in this huge forestry thing, she writes to her mother, and uh, this is this is the part from the letter which I'll which I'll now read in read in full because it's interesting. It's not the whole letter, but this is the part about how how in the 1960 this day was uh, celebrated in uh, the Soviet Union in Latvia at least. <clears throat> I got a nice card and some clothing so I can sew a dress from my workplace. All the women working in our in our forestry kolhos thing were, were given gifts, because I, I really can't find an equivalent term in English, but essentially it's a forestry that is a kolhos, because people work there as collectors, whatever. <clears throat> at uh, the 8th, from in the 8th, uh, at the 10 a.m., some uh, KGB spies arrived from Riga. They wanted to check how we, how our collective is, is acting in the, in the International Women's Day. They weren't very satisfied and told us that women shouldn't be working today. By the way, from eight, from 1965, uh, the, that day became a holiday uh, for women in Soviet Union. But in 1960, when this is, this is written, the, the guys just from KGB just arrived and says, no, 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 women go home. So when these guys uh, arrived and told us, uh, most most women left. Just me, just me, and and the the chief uh, chief director stayed, who who was also a lady. So I went went to the office and I'm looking that you know there's only men there, but you know uh, I was responsible for giving giving lunch to these men and I had to like work that day anyways because uh, she also you know while she's doing some office work they had these. Uh, they had these shifts, and they had these assigned assigned people who had to make dinner for everyone. So she ha- she makes dinner for everyone, stays at work. <clears throat> so and uh, she continues on her rights. So I stayed to the to the big celebra- celebration meeting, which uh, happened at the six p.m. So we had a lady from the party who essentially gave us a lecture about you know how awesome women are, and then they gave us some gifts. The the chief party director. Uh, gave gave out some presents and and you know who had who had something like some some fine poem written on the card he wrote that i was i was sitting there in the presidy table with all of my boots and in my uniform and my colleague herta she also in her working clothes only i had any makeup or something and, and she was also sitting at the table so you know there was just three of us and the director and, and some 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 guys working in the background there so and when when this when this meeting was over, then our director Mutsenix he he took this this siphon he took this empty siphon and offered everyone 
that uh, you can offer offer it to everyone that you know women should should pinch in in Women's Day for it for everyone to get a celebration so that we all ladies you know we 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 tossed in ten rubles each and then you know everyone got a bit drunk. Eh. The, basically, that we, we the, there was a small feast planned, but you know the people couldn't unified, couldn't really unify about everything, so this never happened. Uh, they, 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 those who didn't want to get drunk, well, they went home. Uh, I stayed. I wanted to watch some TV, as TVs are rare in these days. In the 60s, it's like extremely rare, and you know you 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 had to wait in line for years to get the TV at your home place, at your home, and. And so she stayed there, and then she stick, stay, stuck around until uh, until uh, 11:30. And then she writes further on about how they how they basically stole some some food and more vodka from their work, and how they bought some more work from their work and everything, and and you know how 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 they supplied the whole all this party. But this is kind of interesting because this is. This is kind of, you know, everyday thing, you know, there's this official party celebration, the KGB guys arrive and check how you, how you have to celebrate these things. And then women have to pinch in 10, 10, 10 rubles each, and at that point salary is 120 rubles in, per month, okay? So 10 rubles isn't, isn't a tiny amount. So, you know, the director says, you have to pinch in, it's your, your celebration, it's like your birthday, and we're technically guests here, and so we, we, we have, we need this good vodka which you'll buy from the central store and they will drink our own cheap vodka so everyone kind of gets drunk and and the late the men just get drunk and she just stays over to watch some tv what a celebration <laughs> 1960s yeah during during the war all these celebrations essentially were were really very really, very crazy as well because women were, were they didn't know if they would be recruited for work and, and it just kind of poses all the same threat, you know, after a while of, of terrible oppression, you just get disinterested in everything. And it didn't really, and, and when, I, when I read all of this letter, it didn't really seem that, you know, in classic, classic pictures from the era and over here in Eastern Europe, this day is depicted as, you know, women taking, men taking care of women, giving them tulips, which is the traditional flower here for that, and all sorts of presents and stuff. But in reality, most of the time it was just like with, you know, I don't know, I don't know what kind of ultra, what kind of mega national celebrations you have in Australia, but it's like this, ah, well, you know, this, this one day we'll give women flowers and, and, uh, flowers and some gifts, and, and then, you know, I can disregard my wife later in the future anyways. It, it, it was, and interestingly enough, there was a, there were a lot of caricatures about this, cause, uh, Soviet Union had its own humor magazines, and one of them was called Dadis, which basically means the fickle. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they made jokes about this in the 60s and 70s about how just, you know, shaming men who just once a year give tulips to their wives and then they, then they just come home drunk every day after that. Yeah, it's tokenism. It's this idea that you so, can get off giving women one day. Um, it's the same, same thing of, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day, it's like, well, you should be nice to people every day. And even Valentine's Day, it's like, you should show your love to people every day of the year. I mean, I think those big celebrations are good reminders, but turning them into circuses um, is always a, it's always a token as opposed to um, as opposed to continuous effort. Absolutely. Well, look, well, well, look, that. Essentially everything got got done for for show here, because 
Uh, later, other other accounts of these celebrations always involve people coming to check in your workplace. How are you working? Because uh, even in International Women's Day, the nice men from the KGB are lo are watching you. And this is they this is International Women's Day. Are you happy, woman? Happiness is mandatory. <laughs> and this is how it is. And it's it's kind of terrible because. Uh, because I don't know. Oh, right, right now, this whole thing has a bit, bit morphed, I guess. Because uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a weird thing. In Latvia, we have uh, about fifteen percent more women than men over here. Uh, so it, right, right now, the culture is about uh, you no know, women try to be very feminine, and they they also work really hard and do their business thing, and uh, they're, they're, that's why sometimes there is conflict between. Uh, for example, Swedish feminists who arrive in Latvia, because the Latvian feminists look at them and say, well, hey, we have all this political power and everything because we, we've achieved this whole thing through hard work. But I still want a husband. <laughs> it's that, so I'm pretty or something. Yeah, it's that hard thing of how, to, how do you marry tradition when tradition is important to you, especially, you know, and, or how do you marry your culture if your culture is 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 maybe what other women would deem sexist and it's like well it, it, it becomes a complicated thing and I think especially when like a lot of the Soviet things disrupted traditional culture it was about putting down religion and 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 putting away of traditions um and so you always you want to embrace them now that now that you can um yeah but it's it's so very weird here because as far as I know it, it this it causes it creates a weird situation when you have more women than men in your country, because then 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 there's this competition then there then there obviously starts out some competition because you know you, you don't want to be left alone either way. It's like with men in China where there are way more men than women. Their their men try to be kind of their 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 best over here, but over over here it's kind of a bit a bit different so you know yeah where I'm from in Australia originally Sydney there are more women than men and it creates a sexually competitive environment in which women um, are more competitive, are more focused on looks, you know, compared to where I live now, women go to the gym more, are more focused on how they look. And I think it doesn't necessarily even have to mean that they want to get married more, but it is this competition for male attention. And it's not very healthy. Over over here, at least in the Baltic states, we, we have... Hmm. We, our laws were made pretty much a lot by women, and a lot of women participated in the whole, you know, destroying the Soviet Union thing when we got our independence. So we have uh, excellent maternity leave laws. We have a lot of laws. We, we have a bunch of free stuff for pregnant women. Uh, pregnant women get free healthcare for one, completely mm. free and stuff. And uh, when your first baby is born, you get a lot. You get quite a large amount of money to to, to like pay for initial expenses and stuff, and you get. 15 months off from your work and the work can't fire you and the government pays you the salary the work would have paid you. So we have a lot of lot of laws doing this. And I, I, it's a thing that I want... This is a thing which, which really kind of kind of struck me because when I was growing up, I and when I was working part-time jobs when I was studying, I had a lot of, you know, female bosses. I guess I've only had like one male boss in life at all. And then I understood that this is a rarity among among other countries. So this is this is one thing because women had to work twice as hard as men. So now in our system, women a lot of women are actually more successful than men. 
uh, our leader of like we have we have unions and we have the associations of of uh, the employers and it, it's a trade union for for um, for small and middle sized businesses and, and it's and it's led by a woman and that's perfectly normal so we don't we don't really think over here that you know we we don't have this culture of, of sitting at home women and and it's kind of but but at the same time a lot of women want to embrace this part of this and they want to have kids and they want to be sit, sit at home moms because they've been forced to work very hard all the time see it works out of both ways if you've been for, forced to work and and you know driven to success at times you also want want to change here so as as always nothing is very simple honestly we're all people we have needs and wants so why don't we just treat each other as as, as human beings but the same but human. <laughs> yes who cares about your gender really in Soviet Union it didn't in Soviet Union didn't matter you you got hundred grams of sausages in the store man woman child transgender no one cares even though if you were transgender you probably had to hide it very well because that was a criminal offense <laughs> But really, you know, this is what happens. But one thing that really struck me specifically about all of this is um, is weird, because in the 6th of March, uh, the first woman in space, Valentina Tereshkova, and I read that in America, some American ladies posed as the first woman in space, but she just, she just did it later by a couple of months or something. But the first woman in space, I, I, I picked this story for this episode... Because you know what? I'm talking about strong Soviet women and who's stronger than the first women astronaut. Cosmonaut, sorry. Over here, the cosmonaut. Cosmonaut is a much better word. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But yeah, Valentina Tereshkova, she just turned 80 in the 6th of March and she met Vladimir Putin. And Valentina Tereshkova is also a deputy in the State Duma in Russia. And, she's taken, and she has been elected from uh, the town of Yaroslavl. And in, in this this government letter, in the official Kremlin site, she's she's being praised and she gets a lot of praise and everything. But in this conversation, you can see that essentially Valentin Dereshkova doesn't say much. And uh, after, you know, I, I do for my Patreon supporters, I do this reading of another very brave and strong woman who died for her beliefs, uh, Anna Polyatkovskaya, a Russian journalist who was killed by Kremlin agents for her work. Because uh, she opposed Putin's regime and wanted to do a lot of work for democracy. And she writes in that book about what happens to people who get a lot of praises from the president. And then what are they doing? So if Malentina Tereshkova is from Putin's party and she does the work there, then... Um, yeah, makes you think a bit. But how she even got into space is a story of on its own, really. Because, check this. I mean, Soviet Union decided to send up a woman in space for purely PR reasons. Just because just because gender equality and utter and complete gender equality, which, by the way, wasn't that enjoyed by women that much, the points, because, you know, they had worked extra hard. But it's the it's myth. It's the myth they worked hard in, for in, in the US and, and, and in Australia, like the idea, that idea of the comrades all being equal, and I, I, that's exactly what the romantic notion of communism is for people who don't live in a communist nation, is the, the notion that everyone is just a comrade. Yeah, and th- but that is that is true, but this, this myth also was essentially a fiction, if you think about it, because... Uh, they chose to, to essentially 
fly up a woman in space before before filthy Americans do it. So they pick up like they they picked five of the top uh, flight women flight pilots women women who were jumping with parachutes like women paratroopers all this thing and the fact that Soviet Union had women fighter pilots and women parachute pa- paratroops that alone speaks a ton about the role of women here and how how we don't really you know women can be fighter w- women women have been fighter pilots here for years. We are not surprised that that strong women here, but essentially five toughest women were chosen from this. You know, because they had to have they had to have they had to be vetted politically. They had to be vetted from their birth because it also involved quite a lot of racism. They had to be pure Russian. They had to be very very loyal to the party. And make no mistake, just because they now they are now picking a wo- woman for the party doesn't mean they're not not picking the most loyal, the most presentable candidate there is. But they also had to be competent and tough. At that point, by the way, they really researched, and nobody knew the effect because you know we had sent up a man in space, and we know how men operate in this environment. But really, and this is biology. This is not. Uh, I have to give the question more. Women have smaller hearts than men, biologically. And at that point, they hadn't checked it, you know, smaller heart, smaller volume of it and stuff. Maybe maybe it acts differently, who knows. So, you know, you had to pick someone brave there, with, with someone who was a very strong, physically strong woman, too, so that, you know, you could be more or less assured. The thing is, Valentina Tereshkova wasn't even in the top three, because uh, five women were chosen by the, by, by the first part of all of this, and... Uh, they were all like tested and everything, and uh, they really tested them by putting them through a lot more like g forces and a lot more strain that they would actually enjoy they would actually have in the ship and during these tests uh, the, during these tests, Tereshkova wasn't even in the top three she was about like fourth or maybe even the fifth one and you know every every, every everything went on when the people just thought you know. Now that she won't fly up, we have stronger, better candidates for this. But then Mr. Nikita Khrushchev comes up of the Cuban crisis and smashing shoes their fame. And this is the Soviet Union. This is the general secretary. And his direct quote is Polichit Valya. Which means uh, Valya will fly this. Because he liked her looks. Valya will fly this. Valya is short for Valentin here. And none of the test results, none of the competence, nothing really mattered after that one, because if Valya must fly, then she will do so. But, not even the candidates knew this, because even during the start, two women were just, you know, two women were equally prepared for this, because it had to be very, very top secret so that the American spies don't even know about this. Valentina Tereshkova was one, and the other one was called Solovyova. And Solovyova was completely convinced that Tereshkov is being put on there just because, you know, as a backup, as as for the secrecy, because she was obviously the weaker candidate. But she was, she she had a massive shock when Tereshkov was invited there. So Tereshkov got shot in the space, but uh, Teresh, but the test results weren't lying there, and turns out Tereshkov was really incompetent during her first flight. She made a lot of mistakes. She fell asleep at one point and didn't do the experiments she had been tasked with doing. And she failed at, she failed at a, a million things there. And only when she was in the air, even her family 
was informed that, you know what? Your little daughter, which you haven't seen for um, a month or so, she's in the army, she's doing her regular testing. Yeah, we just shot her in the space. Because Soviet Union, obviously your family needs to know that, that you've successfully survived the launching only when you're like actually flying in the space. And then the critical moment actually happened here, because either because of the faulty programming of the Soviet Union or because of Tereshko failing the tasks she had been put up to, because she really wasn't physically ready for this. She she got sick during the flight and she had a lot of issues there. She wasn't the best candidate for the job, or either this plus faulty programming and everything. At one point, the, spa the spaceship she was in, it lost its orbit and started... in. Instead of instead of falling towards the Earth, it started departing from the Earth away. It it was about to like just you know it would be kind of a kind of shameful if the first woman in space would just fly off into space for eternity and die there. So then Tereshkova just you know gathered all her might that she could, started singing Russian folk songs with with because radio was connected there. And uh, worked for insane amount of hours and did a lot of hard work there in the spaceship to fix this somehow. And I don't have information on how she did it, but she did it. She gathered everything she could, and uh, officially, officially, this only became known in the nineties because obviously, oh no, it was completely planned that she would stay up there for a day longer. No, 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 it's it's, it's fine, as obviously. But yeah, only the next day. She, she, she fell down to Earth, and literally, she fell down to Earth, because Soviet Union's landing technology was terrible. And she, it apparently had been a very extremely hard landing. But, yeah, it kind of, kind of went, went out, uh, went out interestingly enough, because she was so tired and exhausted during the landing process itself, that she was bleeding from her nose, very sweaty, and, you know, she had been pushed to her very physical limits. So all the photos and pictures and cinematography that you can see in the rest of the world there, they come from the very next day, because a uh, day after the landing, they took her to... They, they took her and filmed, the, filmed how she steps out of her spaceship once again, so that, you know, the Americans would see the very happy lady and a nice-looking, proper uh, model of the Soviet Union stepping out of the spaceship, obviously. So, because the world had to see a smiley, happy Soviet woman Instead of, you know, barely alive, terribly tired uh, cosmonaut who's basically... Bleeding from her nose. <laughs> yeah, who needs to be pulled off her scaphander just to survive. And so she became a symbol for everything. And then, weirdly enough, she was very capable of flights and everything, but after Gagarin, when he died in his uh, ordinary flight in 1968, the Communist Party forbade Valentina Tereshkova to fly ever again. Because Soviet Union's PR couldn't afford to lose another hero of all of this, and and it was it was kind of uh, crazy. And the thing is about Gagarin and his flight, because she was a symbol. Another thing is that there was a lot of rumor in the flight circles around these these periods about the fact that Tereshkova actually, you know, ha had been in love with Gagarin. But to to just just to make sure that everything is perfect and nice, and we're living in the best country on the planet Earth. Already three months after this legendary flight, Tereshkova got married with another Soviet cosmonaut, Adrian Nikolaev. And in these uh, these weddings, all of the elite of the country, all the nomenclature of the party were there, including Nikita, Nikita Khrushchev, 
And it was all around known to everyone that, you know, this wedding was basically forced upon her. So that, you know, maybe not forced, but um, highly recommended that she marry that man. So that, you know, three months after she marries and everyone's so happy and nice. Uh, these were presented as the, you know, the show wedding of the, of the brave Soviet cosmonauts. But, eventually the, this forced marriage turned into something more as... Uh, a daughter was born in their marriage. And they lived together for about 20 years. And then they separated. So must have been And then been they right. separated. <laughs> and their daughter... Well, 20 years isn't too bad. Yeah, but it was basically a forced wedding. <laughs> and uh, their daughter... Their daughter uh, then reports that uh, all this separation was very unexpected. And dangerous too. Because... Because, imagine this, you have two heroes, two national symbols, and they're, se and they're being separated in the same country who sends, to, uh, who sends KGB agents to random faraway places like workplaces to check if you're happy. So, uh, a lot, so they, they had to apparently pretend that they're happily living together, even though when they had been like separated for like more than a year and they had been living separately. Because, Nikita Khrushchev would have nothing of this. He would he would refuse because they were such symbols of the Soviet Union that they had to even ask for the party secretary of, of the permission to get get divorced. So only after only after Khrushchev went away and Leonid Brezhnev came came there, then they got separated finally. So yeah, now now uh, this first lady she remarried later, and like I said, she's in the Duma. Sadly, she's supporting Putin. So I can't really congratulate her on that. And, you know, she has her <laughs> grandchildren. And she she's very satisfied with her life right now. And she apparently is, has, is in friendly relationships with other other people, other women who were about to be sent there. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah, right. So this is... I mean, the space race was always such a political show. With the In the US, it was all about the astronauts' wives. And they had journalists write pieces for Life magazine in the voice of the astronauts' wives, um, but pretend like the journalists wrote pieces pretending they were the wives, because it was all this PR thing. People wanted to see the happy and complacent wives of the astronauts pretend that they did nothing. Again, that's it's kind of weird, but you know, even even all this. See, I, I just don't like this this thing that when 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 you have to fire fire up a lady in space just to show everyone that hey we're the communist nation we'll fire a lady up in space too, and then you pick someone for their looks because 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 Khrushchev told you so and she suffers a huge landing you can't you can't even show that. Yes. All of this becomes very weird very very weird at points, but yeah, because of all of this situation we we have. We have brave women over here. Tough too. I'm, af I'm afraid of my wife. <laughs> Whether they want to be brave or not. <laughs> yeah, you, you you have to. You have to, I suppose. And there are many mm. other many other women who who were doing great things in the Soviet era. But we're 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 running out of time a bit for this. But uh, I want to give a special mention to yep. Nadezhda Krupskaya, who definitely deserves a special mention because unlike Lenin, she actually spent a lot of time educating the Soviet. Uh, at that time already Soviet farmers and teaching peasants how to read in 1917-1980 Russia. So that was also great. 
but yeah, it kind of makes you makes you think about about how the gender roles affect our world worldviews and what actually influences our own gender views of the world. <laughs> well, I don't have much of a final word, you know. Except I, I I think it's I think it's a great thing to celebrate International Women's Day, and I hope that one day we're living in a world where it won't. We won't need to celebrate it, where every day will feel like Women's Day. <laughs> I, I don't want random KGB agents coming over and asking if everyone's happy. <laughs> you, don't, yeah. you don't want to have people asking you on random days. You'd like to know when, when you need to pretend to be happy. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, Matilda Clara Testoni. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's great. And everyone go, go check out her excellent show about Wonder Tales and how they're actually dark and grim and, and not, not very nice. And, uh, yeah, so far my favorite has been about Hans Christian Andersen. But I'm not sure you did it on your show either, but I really enjoyed this one because that made me research, research all of, all of his weirdness. Yeah, he's and a... how he said, I'm going to lose Carol and, and didn't leave. Yes, <laughs> yes, something. he's a very strange man. Yeah, very strange and unusual man. Uh, the Danish, they're uh, interesting people. <laughs> I have a lot of really great Danish listeners. <laughs> okay, thank you again and the uh, свидания, товарищи. And we'll continue next time with the Soviet Civil War. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.